Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Today's guest is Teddy Woodward, the co-founder of Notional Finance. Notional is a decentralized protocol on Ethereum that enables users to lend and borrow crypto at fixed interest rates. Before starting Notional, Teddy was an interest weight swap trader at Barclays Investment Bank, got into crypto in 2018, and has been on the Notional Finance roller coaster ever since. We talked about how Notional raised the $11 million to finance the corporation and how the protocol is currently being built and what their future plans are and what specifically is unique about a fixed interest rate decentralized protocol. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you do, please like and share the show. Today's show is sponsored by Otter Labs at HireOtter.com. You can check out a great resource if you're hiring software developers, specifically down in South America. If you're building a remote team and looking to bring on full-time, long-term staff, check out Hire Otter for more details on hiring software developers. And without further ado, I bring you Teddy Woodward. All right, Teddy, I'm excited to dive in with you, man. Um, I'd love to hear, maybe we'll kick it off with uh, where you first came up with this concept, which is relatively new, I believe, no, uh, Notional. Um, what were you doing at the time when Notional came into the world and, and what was the inspiration or the spark for the concept? Yeah, sure. So I, I'll actually like take it one step further back. So uh, I sure. started my career, I was an interest rate swap trader. So I, I, I was a trader at a big investment bank. Um, for about four years. Uh, and that's where I sort of like learned about interest rates and, and, and trading and all that stuff. And then um, I, I left that job to trade crypto. Uh, so I left, I left uh, the bank in, you know, maybe 2018. And um, I was trading crypto for a while. And, and like, that was cool. And, and, you know, basically, like, I thought I thought crypto was really cool. I thought working for a bank was kind of boring, so I wanted I wanted to get out of that and sort of into crypto. Um, and trading was a way for me to, you know, uh, it was like a natural step, right? It was it was a way for me to get into crypto in 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 doing something that like I understood and like that I knew well, because um, I just really like crypto was just super exciting. I mean, this was. This was at the the 2017, you know, like the big spike up and like just, you know, all the fanfare and hoopla around that. And uh, it, it just seemed like the absolute polar opposite to working in a bank. Um, <laughs> so I went and I was trading. And how old were, how old were you at that time? Yeah, how, that was a good question, man. Um, how old was I? I was, I guess, 27. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're probably working with people who are quite a bit older and you envision their career paths and what they're doing. And you're thinking to yourself, Hey, this, the world's just going to be different. So why jump on the old train? That's yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's right. You know, it's it, like what I, what I tell people a lot is, is that when I was working at a bank, everything was still done human to human. So when I was, I was a trader, I was like trading with other humans, like over the phone, you know, which, which to me just felt like, like just extraordinarily like backward, you know, it's like, and, and I, I felt like I was, it just didn't, you know, as a young guy, like, why do you want to get in the thing that is on the way out? That's how it felt. So I was looking to get, looking to get over to crypto. Um, and, and so, as I said, I was, I was a trader for a little while, uh, but I, I always wanted to start a company and, uh, you know, towards the end of 2019, um, you know, like DeFi, this DeFi thing was like sort of actually starting to do something. Uh, which, you know, after a very long crypto winter was uh, was great because basically no crypto company had any sort of success, like actual, like found any sort of traction at all. And DeFi was like actually finding like a little bit of traction. And, and so I wanted to be a part of it. And uh, 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 so what I so I was I was working in London this whole time. And then I flew to San Francisco to start Notional. Um, and I actually met my business partner the first day in San Francisco at a hackathon. Um, so it's really just kind of a stroke of luck. Um, it was an interesting story. Yeah. But did you, did you know that this was, you knew precisely what the model was and what you wanted to build? And then that's why you flew to SF? Uh, it's kind of like a work in progress. Well, I knew the idea, you know, I knew that like I wanted to do fixed, so notional fixed rate borrowing and lending protocol. I, I knew I wanted to do fixed rates, but I, I really didn't know like how and like, but I did know that like, you know, cause I'm the trader finance guy and, and I needed to like uh, find someone that could actually write the code and like build the thing. Cause I was not going to be able to do that. Um, so I went to San Francisco cause that's where everybody was. And, and uh, I knew that that's where I'd find that person, and and it did. So, huh. so fixed rate uh, trading. What's what were you doing prior? When you say swaps trading and people are trading over the phone, what what are people trading over the phone? Like, what did that landscape look like? Um, actually, I mean, you know, to be to be honest, I, it was actually pretty like. I enjoyed it. It was, it was pretty fun. So ba- basically the way it works is like, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these trader setups, but like you have like eight monitors, right? And then you're working with like a bunch of other traders and salespeople and everybody's yelling all the time. And, uh, you've got like, uh, you've got a little voice box on your desk that's right in front of you that connects you to all the different brokers and they're just shouting prices at you all day. Like, like 10 year, euro dollar, 37 and a half bit, you know, 37 and a half at 38 and a half, you know, like it's just all day. People are like shouting prices at you. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you go and talk to them like, Oh, I'm mine 38 and a half, you know? Um, it's like, that's what it was like. It is actually, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, as much as I wanted to, to change and get into the new thing, I really did enjoy it. Like it was, it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't it fit? I mean, that sounds like sensory overload. So people are just shouting through speakers in your desk pr- prices all day long. Yep. Well, what's the point of the audio as opposed to just having it displayed 
on the screen or you just have eight screens and people yelling prices at you? You have, yeah, you have both. Uh, and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's different though. It's like some things are like, some things were totally electronic and that's where you see the prices on the screen. And, and there are other things like my primary product, uh, which is very illiquid. And so like, it's all done human to human. And so that's where these guys shouting prices, uh, came in. Cause, uh, the, the only people that traded this product were like, you know, our desk at our bank. So me and my boss, and then, and then like our counterparts at like eight other banks and like, that's it. Hmm. What's the product or I, uh, you, you, I, I guarantee you will not have heard of it. It's called cross currency basis swaps. Um, which it's, it's, it's like, even for finance, it's extremely esoteric. Um, Okay. Well, I, I, re- I really want to understand it though. Just that of my own curiosity. So cross-currency basis swap. So I'm picturing like USD to the Japanese mm-hmm. uh, uh, yen, right? Japanese yen. So they are cross-currency basis swaps. So then there's some, there's some rounding or some extra. Okay. This is what you tell me what it is. I, I honestly don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so basically it's, it's like an interest rate swap, right? Where you got a fixed fixed leg and a floating leg. Uh, but the difference is that the two legs are in different currencies. So you'd have like a dollar leg and a euro leg, for example. And 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 what the it's kind of complex, but what the swap means, like what this thing means, uh, is how much people want to borrow and lend in one currency versus a different currency. So, uh, yeah. So like, I think like, I'll I'll just go through a quick example of why people use this. Like basically like, let's say you're Ford and you want to borrow dollars. Um, uh, you know, you can go borrow dollars from us investors. Right. But on the other hand, you have a lot of people in Europe who want to lend to Ford. Um, and so they're willing to like lend to you at good rates, but they want to lend you euros. Right. So what you're going to do for what Ford is going to do, it's going to borrow euros from these European investors and then execute a cross currency swap with a bank where essentially the bank assumes Ford's obligation to these European lenders. And then Ford gets dollars from the bank and pays the bank dollar interest rates. Right. So like I see. So that's why the thing exists. And it's like a very it's like a very niche uh, product. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause obviously Ford can't, can't collect euros in, in their own U S bank account. Eventually they have to transact those or, uh, into U S dollars. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that leaves a, uh, inefficiency in the market where it's like, well, where do you, where do you get those U S dollars? How is that, uh, transaction? How does it all actually work? Your, yeah. Right. And I think of your position as you being the trader as your, your opportunity where you make your money is on improving the offering liquidity for, for people who want either us dollars or euros or four shares. And you're, you're taking on some risk in that, but it's calculated risk. And in exchange for that, people have added liquidity. Is that sort of the right way to think about the value provided by traders? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like, uh, you know, you're given both sides what they want, right? So, so Ford gets dollars, they get to pay dollar interest. 
the European investor gets to lend euros and earn euro interest. And you're the guy that stands in the middle that like manages that mismatch, right? So right. so that's that's like your role as as the guy, the trader working at the bank. Yeah. Got it. All right, I'm with you. So now you see crypto and you think that the same sort of uh, high level model has to exist. There's people who want different things and different currencies, and then there has to be a place where people can get what they want. They get US dollars or get another cryptocurrency and who's going to manage that or how's that going to work out? So at that time, was there, was there, was the DeFi, what was the state of the DeFi like market, I guess, so to speak, both like I'm thinking Celsius and, and Nexo, like the large kind of centralized crypto exchanges, and then the decentralized exchanges like AVA or mm-hmm. some of the other ones. Uh, at 2017, they're pretty They didn't exist. New at that point. I, I, they they, they basically okay. like didn't exist at all, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I only really heard, I think the first one was like Maker, which was, you know, what, 2018 or something? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but I only started hearing about, uh, about DeFi once I had left the bank and I was like doing my crypto trader thing. Um, and, and that's where I sort of started to hear about DeFi. And like at that time it was, it was absolutely tiny. There was like, you know, a couple million dollars or something of TVL in the entire system. And like, you know, obviously you flash forward today and and there's like a hundred billion dollars in, right. So it's, it's massively grown but at that time it was super small uh but to me it was like it was like basically what it was doing it was recreating that whole system right um but without like any people basically like that that was that was the the promise of DeFi. it was just like taking out like like taking out the human element you know where where it's replacing this system that you know relies on companies and English language law and, and people and just replacing it with like a machine, you know? And like, um, and that was always how I felt about it. And it's how I feel about it now. And obviously it's a lot further along that path than, than it was then, but it's still got a long way to go. But like, that is in my opinion, like what the DeFi thing is doing. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, so what were some of the key decisions that you needed to make early on in deciding how to uh, build this product, this platform? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, so when I, when, when we first started it, so my, my, my business partner's name is Jeff and he, uh, he was an engineer and an engineering manager in, in Silicon Valley for about 10 years, uh, primarily at a company called Atlassian. And um, so, you know, at the time, like back at the beginning, I I knew like essentially nothing about technology. Um, (laughs) And like, uh, and you know, now I know a little bit more, but like uh, it was really important, I guess. uh, So as a finance guy, you tend to, you tend to take for granted the tech side. You, you tend to think of it as like, okay, well, you just, if you know how to do it, then you just do it and it works, right? Um, but like you see when you start 
building like a like a cutting edge new technology product that like actually just getting the thing to work and do what you wanted it to do is like really hard <laughs> and you absolutely can't take it for granted um i don't know so that was something that i learned is just is an interesting cuz i think just as as a guy working in in finance you can tend you know you tend to just take that stuff for granted um which is something yeah, you can't yeah. do really yeah yeah, particularly because you don't like anything, I suppose, when you don't see behind the scenes at how much effort goes into building something, you just assume that that is straightforward or that it's maybe simple to do. You know, how many websites we open up and don't understand that mm-hmm. somebody's, you know, mortgage might be on the line to hire developers to build this idea. And it's not, although there are more no code and simple frameworks now that allows people to get up and running. To your point, when you're on the cutting edge and building something that can't be, you know, drag and drop yeah. uh, built, it's not like an e-commerce store, then then you really are making important decisions on what technology to use for scaling challenges, security challenges, which I'm, I'm sure you think a lot about. Um, and so what, what did you end up choosing? Do you know as, as far as uh, tech stack or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so we we build on Ethereum. Uh, so the you know the smart contracts are written in Solidity. Uh, so you know Ethereum was the was the choice from you know very beginning, and, and at that time it was it was the obvious choice. It was where everything was happening. Uh, you know, I think Solana like wasn't even on the map at that time. Uh, so mm-hmm. for your listeners, Solana, if you're not aware, is uh, sort of an Ethereum competitor right now. Um, but uh, actually kind of to go off something you said earlier. So, uh, you know, you're asking, you know, what, what early decisions did we make? And so kind of what, what I'd been talking about a little bit is, was, uh, that we had to, so I came first when, when we started it, I, I, I came with a design that almost like recreated the, what existed in traditional finance, right? It was like, it, that was the first way that we tried to do it. It was essentially like a full recreation of what existed uh, in the prior system. But then like you run up against all these sort of technological constraints that I had failed to understand before, like trying to trying to build something. And like, you know, the, just the fact that uh, block space on Ethereum is extraordinarily expensive. And like, you really, really, really can't there's a lot of things like the constraints are just really uh, uh, harsh, you know. So you have to make sure that what you're doing is is practical from a technology standpoint. So we had to like basically completely scrap that design and build the thing in a new way that uh, um, you know was sort of more blockchain native. Um, like uh, uh, we we like I think the. When we switched from an order book model, if I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but like mm-hmm. when we switched from an order book model to something on an automated market maker, like that was what we were doing. We were just like chucking out like the the way things were done in, in traditional finance for something that was more blockchain native. And like really, you know, I remember at the time I felt it was so weird. Uh, so, uh, you know, an automated market maker is is like it's like you put, it's a liquidity pool. You put all this capital into it and it like, it's like a little robot that like makes markets all on its own with no human input at all. And I remember thinking at the time back when these were like so new that I was like, how could that possibly work? Like I was like, it was like this blasphemy, you know? Um, 
but then we embraced it because you have to if you want to like make something work on the blockchain. I, I don't know. So I, I think it's kind of interesting. And, and yeah, and so now there is a automated market maker where there's if you tell me tell me how this is, may, makes sense to you. But if there's a on the buy and sell side, there's uh, orders that are accumulating. So in the order book order book approach the old school way is those order books are accumulating like rows in an Excel database mm-hmm. and then vice versa on the sell side. And that the human would be responsible for matching those up previously saying, okay, this, this goes here, this goes here. This, these guys can do a trade. Uh, now, because it's completely on chain that is replaced for a consolidated pool instead of individual trades, there's a pool. And then that, that pool allows, excess liquidity or how do you kind of think about the advantages of the on-chain? Why is it faster and more efficient than previously? Uh, So it it automates the quotation. So, so when you're talking about like an order book and you've got a market maker who's placing orders here and there and there, you know, essentially the way that works is like, you have to constantly update your orders, right? Because the price moves. So every time the price moves, well, I'm no longer a 54 bid. I'm a 55 bid now, right? So you, you have to like constantly manage that. And and what an automated market maker does is it it automates that process. So you put your capital in that you're going to market make with, and your quote is automated. So you're not like I doing see. this stuff. It's just like automatically moving as the market moves, right? So like you, and the reason that's so important is because you know, when it costs like, and, and gas prices now are insane on Ethereum, but if it costs a hundred dollars to provide liquidity, like, uh, you can just imagine if you have to update, if you have to spend a hundred dollars every like minute when the, when the price moves, so you can update your orders. I mean, it's, it's completely impractical, right? Um, so it's really the automated market maker thing. I wouldn't say it's like a categorically better way of doing things. I think that's not true. It's just, it is suited to an environment where storage and computation is just exceptionally expensive compared to uh, um, how it is in the sort of traditional world. Yeah, awesome. And where where is the project now? Where, so you guys have raised how much have you raised, and how do you measure uh, progress in terms of market trading volume or other things that matter? Mm-hmm. So we have raised, we raised two rounds, uh, a seed and a series A. We've raised 11 and a quarter million dollars in total now. Um, and we uh, have launched, so we sort of launched Notional V2 about three months ago. Um, and since then, we've got about $460 million in assets on the protocol, um, which is pretty good. And uh, we've... Uh, done about $260 million of, of actual lending and borrowing volume. Um, so I think we've, we've, you know, we've got a long way to go. Um, but I think it's, it's really good early progress. Yeah. And who are the people, I guess, how do you understand the people who are trading here? Is it mostly individuals trading really small amounts or is there some consolidation for, practical business purposes? Have you been able to parse out that kind of customer information or user information? Yeah. So, um, you know, for one thing, uh, so things are generally anonymous on the blockchain. So, um, you know, you, you see an address interacting with your system. You don't necessarily know who that 
person is. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that you can't uh, know some things. You know, uh, so for example, um, we see a lot of sort of high dollar value usage. So, uh, you know, I think the something like the average account, uh, and this is skewed because we have a few really, really, really large accounts, but the average account on Notional is something like five hundred or six hundred thousand dollars in size, right? So it's like um, it's not really small users using Notional. It's generally very large users. And um, the reason for that uh, is because uh, um, the reason for that is is because of the gas fees in the Ethereum blockchain, right? So if it costs you know a hundred dollars to to initiate a loan, it's just it's a very high barrier for sort of like how much money you have to use before it becomes economically viable. So maybe a way to think about it is that it's not necessarily true that you're uniquely attracting high net worth uh, traders. It's just that the, the the low volume trades just aren't economically feasible. So you're just we're just missing a large part of the potential market, which we could get to that, but I'm, I'm sure that the, that that is being worked on by a lot of smart people. Uh, before, before we do talk about Ethereum though, um, I, I'd love to get your take on the landscape of DeFi. When, when you sort of think about uh, other providers, platforms, exchanges out there, uh, how do you segment them? Do you think about it as okay? These are the com- these are the organizations, the companies that are funded, they're run, they're centralized, regulated. Uh, then there's completely open source, decentralized exchanges. Is there other categories, or how do you parse out the landscape? Yeah, I think when when we're talking about DeFi, uh, we're basically we're talking about protocols. So, um, you know, something like, uh, uh, Coinbase or a BlockFi, like I would not consider to be DeFi. So, um, generally, you know, when we think of DeFi, we think of on-chain protocols. So something like Notional or, you know, Compound, Uniswap, Aave, these kinds of names. So, so, um, so where there's not like a human being that's, uh, administering the system, right? Um, and like everything is built on smart contracts. Right, right, right. Uh, and of those, of the DeFi protocols you named, how, how do you compare those? So where do you sort of stack rank the uh, the niches in the market? Maybe, do you think about it in terms of speed, liquidity, user experience, um, maybe something to do with rates or stability or or other things that play into, say somebody's just going to make a decision as to where they're going to start doing their, their uh, lending and borrowing. What are the implications or the attributes of different exchanges? Yeah. So, um, so I think that when it comes to lending and borrowing, so when it comes to, I've got some assets and I want to earn return, right. Or I want to borrow against my, my assets. um, Really the, the way that I segment them is, is, by risk. So, uh, I think that, um, and I, you know, th- there are some sort of, they're the kind of the OG protocols. So the OG lending protocols like compound or Aave, um, that have been around for a really long time and haven't been hacked, uh, you know, haven't had, uh, user funds lost. Right. Um, and have just been working for a really long time. 
and and those protocols are like the lowest risk, right? And and accordingly, you get the lowest return, right? So so right now, it's something like uh, if you want to lend your USDC on Compound, the rate of return you're getting is like two percent, right? Which is it's a lot better than a bank, but it's also like not that high, um, and you know, but it's it's a risk spectrum, right? So it's like that's that is the least risky, that's the most safe. And then kind of as you move further along the spectrum, you get higher rates, but you get, you know, uh, more risk too. And, and you generally get more risk because they're, they're, you're doing something a little funky with your money, like you're using some leverage or some stuff, and, or, or maybe it's because you're using a protocol that's, that's new, like Notional, and it doesn't have the same security track record just because it hasn't been around for as long. Right. Um, so like currently on notional, for example, um, you know, our USDC rates, um, like eight and a half, nine percent. Right. So a lot higher than two percent. But you're taking more risk because notional has only been been here for three months and it doesn't have the two year history of not getting hacked. Right. Uh, we have to sort of right. build that up over time. And now on the on the borrow side, what why would someone Presumably, it would cost more to borrow, say, USDC on Notional uh, to justify those higher rates on the lending side. Why would that be true? Like, why would uh, somebody pay more to access, to use Notional rather than Aave or Compound? Yeah. Um, so basically, there's there's kind of two reasons here. So, so one is uh, that um, on Notional, you... Uh, we take certain kinds of collateral, like we take notional specific collateral types that earn high returns. So um, what that means is that like uh, you can put your capital into notional, um, provide liquidity and earn something like 10%. And then you can borrow against that on notional. So it's a way that you can like, uh, you know, lever up on the returns that you're earning on notional. Um, and you can't borrow against that asset on those other platforms. So what, what that has meant is that like, you know, if you're earning a lot on that asset, it does make sense to borrow at a higher rate um, because you're earning the returns and you're getting the cash for, uh, and you're paying less on your borrow than you're earning um, via providing liquidity on Notional. So that's that's one reason. And then another reason is just that, you know, Ultimately, Notional is a different product, right? So uh, when you borrow on Notional, you're borrowing at a fixed rate, right? For for three months, six months, or one year, as opposed to a variable rate on these other platforms. And and the variable rate is really volatile. And, um, you know, a lot of sort of Notional's users really value the certainty that the fixed rate gives them. Hmm. On the fixed rate, uh, I would imagine that that's something other protocols would like to do. Is there just a fork in the road with how the protocol is built to 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 not allow or to allow fixed rate, or or is it true that other protocols currently do allow fixed rate, and you guys are just doubling down on the fixed rate, fixed term protocol? Um, and how how would that work? To, I guess also I'm, I'm so curious how fixed rate works behind the scenes uh, t- to to make the finances work out right. It, because there's a reason variable rates um, exist. You know, when the prices go up, there needs to be an increase in the interest rates. Um, 
Yeah. So how, how, how does it work from a finance perspective? Uh, yeah. So, um, okay. So, so what I would say is that the, uh, fixed rate thing versus the variable rate thing, you know, it is a completely different protocol construction, right? So it sounds like it's not that different, but it, but it really is. It, it's not something where, you know, these variable rate platforms, you know, they never thought of it, you know, it's, 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 right. that's not it. Right. Um, it's, it's like, it's a completely different design. Uh, and, and so the, the way it works is, um, the core concept in, in notional is called F cash. Uh, and this F cash thing is like a zero coupon bond in that it is defined by a currency type and a maturity date. So like June 1st, 2022 USDC, that is an F cash token. And I can transfer that or trade it, do whatever I want. And on June 1st, 2022, I can redeem it for one USDC on notional. So <clears throat> you can think about it as it represents USDC in the future on a specific day. And right. yeah, so the way we enable fixed rate borrowing and lending is by allowing you to trade between USDC today and USDC in the future, right? And the rate at which you make that trade implies a fixed interest rate over that period of time. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So in the future, you're just, you're, it's a, an agreement or a contract saying in the future at this date with this currency, this will be the price. And once that's set, then that's set. That's the terms of the agreement. So anything could happen to the price. If it's USDC or Ethereum, it could go up or down, but on that date, that's what that agreement will be worth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that I'm giving, like, if I'm a lender, I'm selling a hundred USDC today. I'm giving you a hundred USDC. I'm giving notional hundred USDC. And in return, I'm getting the promise of exactly 105 USDC on June 1st. Right. So like that is the thing. And, and so the whole of notional is about ensuring that you get that promise back and uh, making sure that there's liquid markets for you to trade between USDC today and USDC in the future. And, and would you say that this is the, the same thing as a, I think of futures trading as being this concept. Is it, is it the same concept just on chain? Uh, I mean, so if, like it's, it's similar, it's related. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause futures would be uh, s some price at a future date that somebody has the option or the agreement to buy, uh, which sounds very similar to what you're describing and how you guys have constructed the protocol. Yeah, it's, it's, it's similar. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right. All right. So I'm with you. So can you give me a quick example? Say take Ethereum just because it's uh, a little bit less uh, familiar, I think then the price fluctuates relative to USDC. So you currently, I believe you offer three different, uh, currencies, DAI, Ethereum, USDC, and rep four and rep Bitcoin. Right. Okay. Rap Bitcoin. So taking Ethereum today, somebody comes in with a hundred grand. They want to make interest on it. Yep. Uh, they have say, instead of calling it a hundred grand, let's say they come in with uh 10 Ethereum. Um, 
they come on to Notional. Mm-hmm. They probably go through some KYC process to set it up. Do they have to do that? Uh, no, they don't. No. Uh, uh, okay. Notional, like like most DeFi protocols, is totally permissionless. Right. So there's uh, you Anonymous, don't need yeah. to KYC. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. So they go in. You submit a request for that. You say, "Hey, this is what I'm going to put up in the on on the exchange on the protocol." And is there a typical time period that it would take, or is it relatively instant? Uh, yeah, no. So it's it's basically instant. So so you can just go on the website and so you bring your ten ether, and you get to pick. Like there's there for ether, there's two options right now. You can lend until the end of March or lend until the end of June, and uh, the website will tell you exactly how much ether you'll have at the end of March or the end of June, depending which option you choose. Um, you press go and uh, you pretty much got it. Like it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's instantaneous. I mean, it's, it's something that's really cool about, you know, DeFi in general is that like, if you can get over the sort of like paying the gas fee and doing all that stuff to interact with Ethereum, it's like, a lot, honestly, it's a lot better. Like, cause there's, you don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to like fill out form. Like there's, there's none of that. You just interact yeah. directly with the financial system. Right, right, right. How do, how do you feel personally, if you're thinking about the comparison uh, say for somebody who's getting into this, uh, between you say you're you're convinced on crypto and you want to do uh, lending or borrowing, but say lending, how do you consider the uh, trade-offs between say Nexo, Celsius, some of the centralized crypto exchanges versus DeFi? Yeah, so I think uh, the the kind of what we just talked about the user experience thing is, is very different for both of those. So, uh, and it depends what you're interested in. I think, you know, like the Nexo and Celsius feels a lot like, like just like a regular bank, you know, it, it, it feels a lot like if, you know, if you want to, uh, make buy a CD or something, you know, uh, it's the same, like it was built to feel that way. Right. Um, now this DeFi stuff, uh, like as we just talked about is, is totally different. Like there's no opening an account. There's no anything like it's, you're literally connecting directly to the financial system. Uh, and you do it and you don't talk to anybody. You just go straight and, and you do it directly. Um, which is like, it's faster. Uh, I think it's easier. It's, it's also very intimidating to someone who's new. You know, um, because it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the way like the regular sort of system works, you know, so it takes some getting used to for sure. Um, you know, but like, I think, so that's just the user experience side. The, the other side is like, and, and what I think is the real promise of DeFi, uh, is that because you're interacting directly with this financial system, you're not paying an intermediary to stand between and do that on your behalf, right? So ultimately, you're the value, you are getting more value um, because there isn't this little layer sitting in between you and the actual market. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what DeFi is about. Yeah, yeah, that's the exciting part. It's making it more efficient, ultimately, you know, removing the middleman as in so many business models on crypto. Um, so you guys raised 
a decent amount of cash mm-hmm. and you have presumably a, a sizable and growing team. How does the structure of the company work? Your for-profit company building a decentralized protocol. Do you have a C corporation and that, that corporation is like, yeah. I mean, to your point here, it feels like a natural segue. What's the business model for Notion Finance Inc. If there is one. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's like, so what I would say is notional, like, and, and this is, is an interesting conversation to have when we hire new people, for example. Um, uh, it's, it's all a little ambiguous, I would say. Uh, <laughs> that's always a good response. Well, listen. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's all a little, cause I mean, this stuff is also new, right? So, so I yeah, can tell yeah. you, I can tell you what the business model is for notional the protocol. So, okay. Okay. Notional, the protocol, uh, makes money by transaction fees. So anytime somebody lends or borrows, uh, there's a small, uh, fee that accrues to the protocol. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you own part of the protocol, you, by virtue of that ownership have like, uh, a claim on the fees generated by the protocol. Right. So, so wait, can I, can I stop you there? So the fee, uh, when the fee is generated, it, it the fee, automatically goes into a a wallet is that how it's technically happening in the back end it's the protocol's reserve account so it's like reserve account okay yeah so it's not going to my wallet it's not going to anybody's wallet it's it's right. sitting with the protocol itself right but that would be one address one wallet that is it's, owned by the protocol itself it's a smart contract so it's it right. like the protocol is code that sits on this smart contract. Right. And now how does that uh, accumulation, that pool of money that's generated from the fees, how does that go from that smart contract to the people who are building it or, you know, the, the, you know, presumably the majority of that I would imagine is going towards the people who are coding and building the protocol itself. How, how does, and tell me if that's wrong, but how would that, how does that mechanics work? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yet. So right now, like the the revenue accrues to the protocol, and uh, it has not yet moved. Um, now, it could. Uh, so so again, this is where you you really got to go down into the sort of like DAO, figure out how all that stuff works. I mean, so basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so so basically, notional protocol. It's like smart contract system. Uh, it has this money that sits within the system and uh, the system is governed by um, uh, a, a governance token, right? So the system can do things if like, um, you know, if uh, so people who hold this governance token can raise proposals to do things. Um, and then if a majority vote in favor, the proposal is executed and so, for example, a proposal could be transfer some of this reserve uh, to this address, right? And and that, you know, like you might, um, maybe somebody wants to ask Notional the DAO for a grant for some money because they want to do something like, they want to do a full security review of the Notional smart contracts and they want $500,000 to do it, right? So what this person or company could do 
is go into Notional Governance Forum and post a proposal and say, hey, we want to uh, you know, conduct a full security review for $500,000. Will you give us the money? Right? And then essentially token holders can vote on it. You know, and, and they say if they want to do it, well, is there $500,000 in the reserve? Could we transfer that to this person that's going to do this stuff? Uh, and then if a majority vote in favor, um, that happens. Right. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm curious how the execution of that works. So the forum, people are just writing, uh, humans are interpreting this. It's still in like human mind world. Mm-hmm. And then there's an agreement consensus in human mind world. And then we say, okay, let's, let's turn that into uh, a smart contract and, and move money from that point. How, is the voting done on chain? And so the voting effectively acts as the, the pathway to move this from what we agree on this forum into the code on the, mm-hmm. uh, on the protocol. Yeah. So, so you agree stuff in human world, right? With talking on an internet forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what is actually, so then somebody, uh, so the actual proposal that will be executed is uh, code, right? So it is like, it's codified what exactly will execute. And then right. uh, the token holders can vote on whether or not to execute that code. Um, I see. Yeah. And, th- and that's how it works. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a good, I appreciate you explaining that because it, there, I think a lot of people get a, a little confused between that transition. Uh, cause there does, there does present the, uh, how would you say it? Like the vagueness between, okay, we agree on this. Well, do you agree on it exactly? Is there a conceptual right. um, misunderstanding and then it's codified and then the code is reviewed and that's where people say, yes, approve, approve, approve. And then that code is executed once it hits a certain majority, uh, approval rating. Yep. That's right. Awesome. And so, so to date that has not happened. Uh, no, no money has come out of the reserve in the protocol itself. Right. Yeah. So we're still pretty new. I mean, we're, we're like pretty early on this path. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that is like, and, and, you know, the other thing I would say is that sort of proposal process that I, that I, we just, that example, you know, maybe that's like not the most realistic thing. It's sort of for illustration. Cause like what you might actually have in practice. And again, this is not something we've set up, but it's something that we sort of thought about is like, well, maybe what you have in practice is uh, you have a treasury management like subcommittee, right? And like this subcommittee is like responsible for, uh, you know, processing grant requests and doing sort of other stuff, managing the DAO's finances. And maybe not every request is subject to one of these full on-chain votes, right? Maybe they have a little bit more authority to act without, uh, you know, in, in like a del- maybe there's a little bit more authority that's delegated to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that there doesn't have to be a vote every time you want to do anything. Right. Right. So it's like, uh, and, and to be clear, like we, we have not set up a structure like that, but like, that's kind of the state of DeFi governance at the moment. If people are thinking about how should we do this? Right. Isn't it funny how, to me, it's, 
it's a strong resemblance to democracy. You know, you picture absolute democracy is where we are today in crypto, which is everybody vote for everything, and then majority wins on the voting. Then there's the introduction of a representative government, which is we're going to, these are, there's too many decisions. I can't be asked every single question uh, that's going on in this protocol as it becomes so complex. And there's so many decisions on allocation of, of funds. So let's, let's elect somebody. So with this guy, Teddy, we like this guy. We all agree, right? Teddy, you're the, you're the guy. You now have a certain level of agreed upon authority mm-hmm. where you can allocate 20% of the budget to investing in security people and development people and so on. You know, you have a limited set of, of, uh, a limited set of power, but you are the, you know, quote unquote, the elected representative, similar to how we, we have it in, you know, at least the U S which, so it's, it's kind of, um, it's interesting to me because it's a naturally arising way to handle complex systems, uh, especially of, of organisms, you know, it's like, in each individual node or person can't be overwhelmed with 50 decisions per day. So let's elect somebody now to uh, take over that, that burden. And yeah, it's interesting. I imagine that that'll be the way that just about every protocol goes as they hit a certain critical mass. Right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and, and you know, it's interesting because uh, we're all like figuring it out right now, just as an industry. Some, some are further down the road than others, you know, um, Certainly, some are further down the road than us. Uh, like I think what, one of the, the like the canonical example here is like um, MakerDAO, right? So they're like, you know, the most fully decentralized, right? There's no there's no corporation, there's no foundation, there's nothing. There's just the protocol, and 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 they have like uh, so they have these. I think they called like sub DAOs. I don't actually know what they're called, but like they're these different little like pods i guess that like uh there's a team for each pod and each pod has like an objective right they want to like onboard real world assets as collateral onto maker and so that like the community votes uh for like leadership of this pod and like how much budget to allocate to them and et cetera, et cetera. and then and then the reviews their performance on some regular basis and then you know so it's like it's a hierarchical like form of governance. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. 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 All right. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah. I want, I want to dive more into that. Um, I, but I, I did kind of take you off on a tangent. So you were telling me you, you raised, uh, uh 11 million over two rounds in that range. Yeah, something like and, that. Yeah. And you're, uh, and I was asking you how the, that company, cause that is a company, how, how that's sort of structured. And you mentioned the, uh, when you explained this to employees, it's a bit of a, <laughs> a confusing topic, but yeah, continue on with that. Yeah, sure. So, so, you know, we always, uh, so what I would say is that, uh, you know, currently notional finance incorporated, uh, which is our C corp, uh, we, uh, are not profitable. Um, I think that, um, yeah. So I, I like, you know, our, our job is sort of, we develop software, um, and we developed the, the notional protocol software, uh, and notional is profitable, but, but, uh, the, the C corp is not currently. So now I, I would, I would expect in the future that, um, that basically, you know, what I would see 
potentially Notional Finance Incorporated doing the, the C-Corp, uh, we might contract from Notional the DAO, right? So as Notional earns more revenue, uh, and let's say there's something more that we want to build, right? Per, like we request funding from the DAO, right? And, and so the, the idea here is that it is the DAO itself, which is sort of the head honcho. It's not Notional the company. Notional the company is just a company that like builds stuff that contributes to this DAO, but it's not, it's not like the main thing. The main thing is the DAO itself. Yeah. Mm. Got it. And so when investors put in money, are they thinking to themselves, there'll be a conversion? I guess, how, how are they envisioning the mechanics of a return? Are they also, yeah, let me just stop there and ask you that. Sure. So um, when we received investment uh, in those two rounds, um, both of those investment rounds were for company equity. Um, and if, uh, so in the event that, uh, the company did issue a governance token, um, there was an agreement that, uh, there would be a pro rata distribution of that token. Uh, but like the thing that they were, so, you know, if we were to issue a token, which we did, um, then the investors would receive a proportional share. Uh, but they did not invest in the token. They invested in the equity of the company. Got it. And so they're th- is, it, is it right to say, or tell me if this is still unclear, but is it right to say that they're thinking that the company would be sold to another company and that that would be, the tip- that's typically like how a VC would think, either IPO or sell, and that's how they're making the return? Is that the case here? Uh, I think that, you know, as, uh, like they might feel like they're going to make some money off the company's equity. They might also feel that uh, in the event that there was a token issued, that perhaps they'd make some money off the token. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's what I would say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of a combination of, of the two. Uh, I would imagine the token seems like the more exciting part, right? Because it's all about the protocol. It, presumably, the company. I talked to a number of different, I talked to somebody else about this recently. Um, the name is escaping me, but he was saying that we started this company, we raised some money, but the company is going to one day, hopefully dissolve into nothingness and that the, the protocol becomes so large that it's, it's all about the protocol and there's people, developers building on the protocol. So generally I, I feel like the structure is, Hey, let's create a typical C corp. Let's raise money for that C-Corp, sell equity in that to investors, preferred shared. And then we spend our time building on this protocol. Uh, The investors either also own the token that we're building on in the protocol. And so they want, they're effectively, you know, if you think of a foundational, uh, if you, sorry, if you think of a, a foundation's capital. So protocol oftentimes has a foundation for their you know, mm-hmm. investing sometimes hundreds of millions into developers building on onto the protocol, because that is how they're building their empire. The the investors will say, "Hey, we want to be invest. We want to invest in the early development uh, pool." So, you know, in this case, Notional Finance Inc. is a team of developers building on the protocol. There might be other developers building on the protocol down the road, or maybe today, mm-hmm. but. 
it's like a spark. You know, you have to somehow spark the fire. And meanwhile, they're really, ultimately, they're hoping that the price of the tokens goes up, the governance tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kind of uh, like you said, people are figuring it out. It 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 is such an unorthodox way when you frame it relative to traditional VC and, and startup growth, uh way to raise money and return investment to, to investors. So I yeah, I, I love going down this road because it does create this pathway that other founders can start to really visualize and say, okay, I could see how we could implement this idea, raise money from it pitch investors, like founders already struggle so much to create a pitch deck and pitch investors on their own vision and future and traction and team and everything else uh, to then layer in kind of an additional level of complexity around it is, um, you know, it's tricky. So I (laughs) give you a lot of credit for raising what you have. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's tricky for sure. Uh, But I think at, at, at the same time, you know, if you're dealing with sort of crypto native VC guys, it's it's relatively well established at this point right. among like uh, a certain set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so where, where are you going to go from here? So you you have you know the sites up and running, the protocols there. You have hundreds of millions on there. Are there things that are like clear and obvious in front of you that you guys are working hard on? Absolutely. I mean, I think that you know, uh, given sort of what we've like we're, we're protocol first, right? So, so we're building a protocol. We're not so much building a traditional business. And, and that means that growth looks a little differently. Um, so uh, something that we really want to make a point of, and, and we are, um, is integrating Notional with other protocols, right? So this is kind of the DeFi equivalent of like a business partnership, right? Um, but what you're doing is like, you're having this other protocol lend on notional right so instead of instead of going after uh, a specific a particular user you know um like just a regular human being uh if you can integrate with another protocol like you get all of their people right so it's like it's like there's this vast machine that is DeFi, and you've got a part of it right and you build it in to the machine and then it's like just part of the machine you know it's like ship yeah. <laughs> so I, it's kind of interesting. I don't, I don't know. Um, and so are there other protocols? Is there a, is it right to say that there is a sort of master level protocol being built or can be built where it's operating somehow behind the scenes? Or is it more analogous to software today where there's just direct API integration? So you would have an integration with another protocol directly. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of, maybe that's phase one, at least, is that kind of your vision? So you segment out, you choose compound, or I don't know if you've announced that yet, or even thought about it, but you, you pick a protocol and then integrate with them. So, so we have already integrated with compound. Um, so notional is directly integrated. So every, actually every dollar of capital on notional today, um, actually vicariously like sits on compound, um, so like on the back end, if you will. Uh, and, and we want something similar with other protocols um, putting their sort of user funds through their protocol onto Notional. Um, so that's like, yeah, I, I don't know. Does that, does that answer your question? I think so. So when you say that uh, there's a 
pool of capital that people have invested into Notional, that's actually sitting on the compound. It's sitting on Compounds Protocol. Yeah. So, so uh, it's it's part of the way the system is designed, um, such that uh, so we allow fixed rate lending and borrowing of wrapped Bitcoin, Ether, USDC, Dai. Right mm-hmm. now, Notional has. Um, so we do not hold cash balances of USDC, DAI, any of those currencies. We hold wrapped cash balances. Mm-hmm. So we'll take the actual cash and convert it into C tokens, uh, which means that we're lending it on compound. And then the cash balances that we hold on Notional are denominated in these wrapped tokens. So it's like, see, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, certificates for a, I don't want to say stock, but it's you're not holding the actual cash. You're holding the the claim to the cash or the wrap tokens. Yeah, and it, it like optimizes capital capital efficiency, right? So anytime you have assets on Notional, they are actually on the back end being lent out, and so you're earning. There's no like dead weight, right? You're always earning interest on your cash that's sitting on Notional. That's a good way to think about it. Okay, and so you want to continue to do that on other protocols as well. Yeah, and and also from different like so so that's like we're integrating with them. We want other people to integrate with us, right? And like the way that might look as like something that we're currently pursuing uh, as an integration with the yield aggregator. Um, so it's uh, basically a yield aggregator. It's like people put their capital in, and the protocol goes and finds the best opportunity for that capital, right? And so we want Notional to like be a opportunity for the sealed aggregator so that you know it's one in the list that it will check right so should i put my money there 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 or notional right and then so like uh when money flows into that uh, yield aggregator some of it then flows to notional right so it's like um yeah it's like a yeah yeah, yes. A yield aggregator is almost like a. I think of it as a terminal or uh, a, a, a transparency tool for pricing, where it's it's showing you the best place to. Well, it's also based on the yields, but it's also doing it for you, right? So, right. so that's it's not just showing you; it's doing it. So it's managing your funds and like and and switching them from place to place as as it is optimal to do so. What's uh what's the best place to learn more about this if someone's going to dive in? Is there a dominating yield aggregating protocol out there today? There is. Uh Urine Finance is is like the dominant one, I would say. Yeah. And there's also this Convex Finance as well. Convex. Are there other people or tools or places that you've uh learned a lot or that you'd recommend if people are interested in this to dive deeper? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it, like, so if you're interested in using these, these protocols, so if you want to like, uh, get some understanding, um, so that you can use this stuff, uh, something like, you know, uh, DeFi dad as Twitter handle DeFi dad, uh, he's a good guy and he makes like really accessible, I would say, uh, sort of like videos of like how to use these things. Right. That are, uh, that are easily understandable. Um, and if you want to like learn more about like, you know, like really dive into the nitty gritty, like the technical stuff, um, 
that's going to take more work. Uh, <laughs> and and I, what you should do is um, just like go to the different protocol websites, read through the documentation, um, try to build something. Uh, there's just no better way um, than to try and build something. Yeah. Yeah. Teddy, man, I appreciate you going down the rabbit hole with me. Usually I'll have conversations, we'll branch off into different topics, but we uh, we stayed right on notional the whole time and, <laughs> and you had me captivated. So congrats, man, on all your progress. Um, are you active on social? Do you do posting, writing anywhere? Uh I, so I'm occasion. I occasionally post on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Teddy Woodward, uh, and uh, if you want to follow Notional, you can also do that at Notional Finance. Awesome, awesome. Well, wish you the best, man. I'll definitely be following you, and hope to have you back on someday. Okay, thanks a lot for having me, Mike. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts tweet about it or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.